0: Environmentalists scored a major victory after years of trying to block federal coal leases for climate change reasons. The Trump administration wants to streamline environmental reviews to make it easier for companies to get the federal okay to mine or drill on federal lands. But federal courts seem to have other ideas. The Tenth Circuit rejected coal leases for the expansions of the Black Thunder and North Antelope Rochelle mines in Wyoming, which together supply about 20 percent of U.S. coal. The court rejected the Bureau of Land Management's determination that the additional coal leases would not lead to additional burning of coal and thus more carbon emissions. Here to help explain the issues are Charles Warren, the head of the environmental law practice at Kramer Levin, and Pat Parento, a professor in of environmental law at Vermont Law School. Chuck, environmentalists have been fighting these coal leases for years, but the court didn't actually vacate the new leases. So how big a victory is this?
1: Well, I think that uh, it's still a victory because they have to go back. The Bureau of Land Management now has to go back and actually do a review to try and demonstrate uh, that uh, this won't lead to more greenhouse gas emissions and affect climate change, and uh, we'll see how good a job they do. They obviously felt they didn't have to do much of a job the first time around because they really didn't supply any kind of data, and they're going to have to supply data, which of course could be subject to challenge, and uh, it might end up stopping uh, some things from going forward or at least uh, setting a new standard for the kinds of... uh, Analyses that have to be done before you can move ahead with these uh, coal leases. So I do think it's an important uh, step uh, for the environmental community, even though it didn't actually stop the mining in its tracks right now.
0: Pat, the decision rejects BLM's perfect substitute argument. Explain what that is.
2: Yeah, the Bureau of Land Management basically said look, whether we sell uh, these leases in this coal or not. Uh there will be coal developed from somewhere, uh, and so it won't make any difference and that's what they re- meant by the perfect substitution. the court said but but how does that how can that possibly be right when you're talking about twenty as you mentioned twenty percent of the nation's supply of coal? You're saying that if you take that off the market, it has no effect on the coal market, no effect on prices um, and you didn't explain that you just assumed. Uh, That there would be equivalent coal, both equivalent in terms of price, in terms of environmental impact, in terms of air quality. And they said, the court said, you just didn't explain that. And we think that just defies logic. And so we can't defer to that assumption. That was the fundamental flaw um, in the analysis.
0: And, Chuck, the Sierra Club said in a statement that the ruling will have a dramatic impact on how the BLM and the Department of Interior assess future land leases for fossil fuels. This is one circuit court in the country. So is that a fair assessment?
1: I think it's reasonably fair because, you know, the Tenth Circuit isn't exactly, you know, a very liberal circuit. It's not, you know, it's not very conservative, but it's still... I think it's representative, and what it's saying to the Bureau of Land Management is that you just can't make assumptions and don't do any analysis. And so I think, and I don't think it's that controversial a decision, because I think many other courts of appeals might have come up with the same result, because they just didn't do anything here except, you know, as Pat explained, the equivalency theory, which the court said doesn't quite make sense. And so what I think it's saying to the Bureau of Land Management is that you just can't, uh, every time you want to enter into one of these leases, you have to really do some analysis here. And uh, so they're going to have to sharpen their pencils and actually do some work and come up with some justification for it. And that's a step in the right direction, I think.
0: And. Pat, how difficult will it be for them to come up with a justification or to get a new environmental impact statement? Can they revise the analysis and come to the conclusion still that additional carbon emissions have no net contribution to climate change?
2: They could certainly come to the conclusion that, that uh, leasing this coal... Uh, is still justified. There's nothing in the National Environmental Policy Act, of course, that prohibits an agency from taking an action, and frankly an action that doesn't really make a lot of sense sometimes and certainly has a bad environmental outcome. So NEPA doesn't have what we call a bottom line. Uh, On the other hand, the, the, the whole energy market is shifting so dramatically. Uh, This EIS is already stale and out of date in terms of what's happening with coal demand domestically and internationally, the rise of uh, natural gas, the rise of renewables. Uh, There's a real question, actually, as to whether there's a market uh, for all of this coal. So when they go back through the analysis and update everything that's happening in the energy sector and everything that's happening to coal use here and elsewhere, it it may be that there really is no justification for selling this coal, or you'd have to sell it at such a below-market rate that you'd basically be giving it away.
0: I've been talking with Charles Warren, the head of the environmental law practice at Kramer 11, and Pat Parento, a professor of environmental law at Vermont Law School, about the 10th Circuit rejecting coal leases on federal grounds for climate change reasons. Pat, the Trump administration wants to greenlight these and these NEPA reviews, make them short and quick. But now that we have this decision by the Tenth Circuit, is that going to be more difficult?
2: Well, yeah. One of the things that the Trump administration has uh, put in place, and this was through the Department of Interior, is to put a page limit on uh, the environmental impact statements, and of course. Uh, That sounds appealing, but the problem is, um, you know, each case and each program is is distinct, and some are very complicated, coal leasing being one. And so imposing an artificial limit on the amount of analysis that can be contained in a document is basically asking to be sued. And there are certainly plenty of very skillful lawyers out there, uh, you know, who have been bringing NEPA lawsuits for many decades, who are, are locked and loaded, I guess would be the term for that, ready to sue The minute that they start turning out these uh, truncated environmental impact statements, that's that's a recipe for losing cases in court, I think.
0: Let's turn now to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which Congress established in 1980 to protect the 19-million-acre territory along Alaska's northeast frontier – It also has an estimated 12 billion barrels of crude and it's drawn interest from energy companies and their political allies, including Senator Lisa Murkowski, an Alaska Republican. Chuck, the Trump administration is moving to allow energy exploration in that refuge for the first time in 30 years, according to documents obtained by The Washington Post. What have they been doing?
1: Well, what they're trying to do is uh, there's really been an issue of whether or not you can conduct any studies uh, before you do exploration. The exploration has to be authorized by Congress, but the question is, okay, what about studies, seismic studies, to determine how much oil might be there? And uh, the, both the, the Clinton and Obama administrations, has basically, they basically took uh, the position that you can't do any further studies, uh, and uh, you know that that's off limits. There's there was an opinion by the solicitor of the Department of Interior a while back that said it, the studies were only supposed to be done for a short period of time in in the '80s, and you can't do any further studies. And um, that's been that's been challenged b- before by by not just the energy companies, but really by the states, the state of Alaska being, you know, out front there. And uh, there was a court case in 2015 where the judge basically upheld the interpretation of the Department of Interior. Now, obviously, we have a new Department of Interior who might have a uh, a new view of it. And what happened in, in August, uh, the acting director of the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, instructed the uh, the agency's Alaska regional director to update the rule that uh, allowed exploratory drilling between, uh, you know, 1984 and 1986 by, you know, striking out those calendar dates. Now, <laughs> the question is, they have to propose that rule, and obviously, um, there there are going to be a number of issues, and they'll be sued. And one of the, I think, one of the major issues will be what's the effect on habitat. Of these seismic studies, and and, uh, and and there are a lot of species up there, some threatened, and uh, and and one of the big, I think, one of the major issues, as I see it, is that the the polar bears, uh, because of the melting ice floes, are really uh, using the land more, and and uh, and they could be affected by these seismic mm-hmm. studies. So I, I think uh, they they're obviously trying. And the state of Alaska is all for it, but whether or not uh, it eventually succeeds, I think, is still up in the air.
0: So, Pat, uh, give us a little bit more of a description of what this Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is like, the importance of it.
2: Well, I mean, it's a pristine area of Alaska wilderness, the Alaska coastal plain, incredibly important, as Chuck said, to polar bear. It's a a major denning area as the bear loses uh, more and more of its ice habitat. It's coming on land uh, and spending more and more time there. And these seismic testings, you you really have to actually experience one of these things to understand just what an impact they have. It's like an underground explosion almost in terms of uh, the sound and the the way it carries and disturbing their denning activities. But it's also a huge area of concentration of caribou, uh, grizzly bears, um, you know, it, it's it's like the, some people call it the, the the American Serengeti in terms of, of the vastness of, of its uh, wildlife and biodiversity. It's just very remote, very beautiful, I guess, in, at least in terms of an Arctic uh, landscape. It's unspoiled. It's one of the few places left on Earth like that. And so why in the world would you want to go there and, and develop the oil? The scientists are telling us we have to leave something like two-thirds uh, of the known fossil fuels in place. Even if that isn't going to happen, the question is, where do you begin to say, we're going to start leaving some of these fossil fuels in the ground? Well, the answer should be places like the Arctic coastal zone that serves so many other important social values. You'd think that uh, something might be off limits.
0: Um, Well, let me just get a yes or no from both of you. I have about 30 seconds. So, So, Pat, do you think this would go through?
2: Uh, the exploration will not go through without significant litigation. And if it survives that, there probably won't be anybody that bid on them.
0: And, Chuck, 15 seconds. What about you?
2: Yes, I, I agree. I think there'll be a big litigation
1: challenge, which is going to be hard to overcome. And uh, second with is... All that, right, I've got to
0: stop you there. I'm so sorry. We could go on forever on this. Thanks so much. That's Charles Warren of Kramer Levin and Pat Parento of the Vermont Law School. Coming up... A former SAC Capital Trader wants to take back his insider trading plea. This is Bloomberg.